Here we go. <laughs> I'm not sure how close I should be now that I'm here. But this is, uh, is going to be a special week, as uh, was already mentioned. And, oh man, now I don't have... Can you turn the lights on? Maybe it'll still work. Um, just be praying for the, the, the team that's working with the children. Um, the musical that's going on uh, on Friday night and Saturday night has to do a little bit, at least, with our message this morning. Uh, the judge and the jury are going to have to make a, a decision this Friday night and Saturday, Saturday night. And... Um, uh, It'll be a need for discernment. Last week, uh, the message was on blessed assurance. Got it? And I, I trust that you do. Uh, today, we shift to blessed discernment. Got it? Uh, we need it. Blessed discernment. And um, I'd like to share a story that I uh, read in this book called Fool's Gold. A fitting title for the book, uh, basically on discernment. And uh, this is a book by John MacArthur and other men. Uh, and in this particular chapter, they share a story that I'd like to start the message with here this morning. When Aben Johnson sold his Detroit-based television station in 1997... He began heavily investing in gemstones. While he had dabbled in diamonds since 1988, he now had the capital he needed to purchase the rarest stones money could buy. He spent $3 million on a blue diamond called the Streeter Diamond. He also spent $2.7 million for a collection of diamonds called the Russian Blues. He also spent another $17 million uh, towards a Sylvia Walton collection, a set of diamonds that belonged to Sam Walton's daughter. In all, Johnson invested some $83 million in costly gems. But what Johnson didn't realize was that, was that these famous named diamonds, which he thought were priceless, were actually almost worthless. In fact, they were not diamonds at all. The stones were different types. Uh, cubic zirconia, blues, blue toaz, to, uh, topaz, and other inexpensive gems. To add insult to injury, Sam Walton never had a daughter named Sylvia. So, despite all of his legal efforts, Johnson was never able to fully recover his $83 million dollars. And uh, the moral of the story is if he only could have exercised a little what? Discernment. And you don't have a story like that, obviously, with $83 million at stake, do you? I know I have a number of stories about showing a lack of discernment in my life. And it's important that you and I understand 
what's at stake here. Far greater than $83 million, yes. Far greater than $83 million. Far greater than some love relationship. Because that, that's another thing that you hear of where there's scams going on on these dating services on the Internet. All I wanted was to fall in love and someone took the, the man or the woman for their money. And so far greater than these things is the concern that people have little or no spiritual discernment. You know, we've, we've got... Uh, it's amazing what we have in, in regards to security issues, you know, passwords, uh, security codes. Uh, uh, we've got GPS systems. We, we, we can find our spot, right? Uh, you can be in the biggest city in the world and have that little GPS thing talking to you. Take a right turn. Take a, you know, all those kinds of things relate. Yet, you as a Christian, or if even if you're not a, a Christian, we still have this problem of being so vulnerable. We have such vulnerable spiritual conditions. Norman Geisler, who is an author and a teacher, put it this way. Many have lost the God of their experience in their quest for an experience with God. Truth ends up being measured by subjective experiences, not by objective reality. Christianity ends up being an appeal to the heart. And you say, wait a minute. There's nothing wrong with that, right? That's right. There's nothing wrong with Christianity being an appeal to the heart. But Geisler goes on to say, God never bypasses the head on the way to the heart. That's a great statement. Okay? Certainly there is some uh, mystery, we say, to the Bible and to the message uh, that God has given us but not so much as to make it so difficult. For the believer, the, the, Christian, it, the Bible says that the Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, who is the, the guide into all truth. Okay? And so we, we pick it up here in our study in 1 John chapter 4 with these things in mind the need for discernment, and do we really have it? And so I'd, I'd like to give you these uh, three points about blessed discernment. Got it? We start with First John chapter 4, verse 1. Follow along as I read it. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now, stop right there. Go back up to the very the very previous verse, chapter 3, verse 24. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given. So John is now wanting to make it crystal clear because there are uh, there's a lot of confusion out there in their day, in their time, about what truth is, uh, is really all about. And so he says, Beloved, and here is uh, point number one, the call 
for discernment. The call for discernment. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the call for discernment is needed because there's, there's, he gives two reasons. Letter A is there's an abundance of spiritual talk. Letter A, uh, there's an abundance of spiritual talk out there. And it doesn't necessarily even need to be in church or on uh, the r- Christian radio stations around. There's spiritual talk going on on, on talk shows. Um, there's uh, quasi-spiritual talkers and uh, voices um, on, on t- all sorts of talk shows. And they all kind of uh, now, you know, jockeying for position now that the queen of talk show is, is done with, Oprah. And you know it. We don't have to belabor this point, you know, that when Oprah speaks, people listen. Sure, there's practical, common-sense stuff. But it does, many times, shift over into spiritual issues. And not only Oprah, but others. And I'm not going to even get into it. But you know what? The context in this passage is not even talking about TV personality, for crying out loud. It's talking about church people. People in, in, you know, that are traveling around churches. So-called teachers. So-called apostles. So-called prophets. That's the concern of John. He's talking about people from within church. And so he's giving the, the warning. Okay? And in the context of 1 John, it goes on to say that we must be examining or testing those in the church. You saying, you mean in this church? Yes. You do it. You test what I say or what Brennan says or what the other elders say or the Sunday school teachers say. You and I need to be growing in this discipline. It's important that you you start here and that you exercise it in other areas because there's a a plethora. How do you like that word? A plethora of, of voices and teachers. And they've got just the the six steps you need or this or that. Okay? So there's an abundance of spiritual talk going on. Now, the New Testament, get this, the New Testament in most every epistle, most every New Testament letter, there are warnings given. Warnings to watch out for false teachers and false teaching. It's, a, it's an ongoing theme. Why? Because God doesn't want His children being led astray. And so it's a, a critical issue that you and I need to understand and then put into action, especially in our day when it is so uh, prevalent and it's so easy, the radio, the internet, the TV, magazines and books, all over, okay? So we've got to watch out for this. And then we've got to put the, put the test into action. We'll see that in a little bit here. Letter B, there's not only a, an abundance of spiritual talk, there's an abundance of spiritual toxins. It's poison. He goes on to say in in the last part of verse 1, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
the fact is, false teaching abounds. And what they teach is poison. And the source goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Let's turn there. Turn there in your Bible. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to take a quick look at it. It's worth looking at. Many of you uh, are, are familiar with it. But I want everyone looking at it. If you don't have a Bible, grab one in the pew in front of you there and turn to the beginning of the Bible and look for Genesis chapter 3. And we're starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the, tree of, uh, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, and you know the rest of the story. She takes the fruit, takes a bite, and then gives to her husband. He takes a bite. And there's the fall of mankind into sin and rebellion against God. And Adam and his children, you know, we talked about Cain a couple uh, last week. And, you know, on it goes. And here you and I are. We're born in sin because of this very issue because of this event but it's it's interesting to study and and look at how satan spoke to eve and again this is um not anything super profound it's very basic but you need to look at it and see it did god really say is questioning what It's questioning God's authority. Did God really say this? And, oh, you will not surely die. Questioning God's judgment. The fact that God is judge. And what he says, you do this, you will die. And so Satan, very subtle, throws that in. Into the mixer. Up here, the thinking, you know, did God really say this? And you'll not really die. In fact, here's another thing that Satan attacks. You'll be like God. You'll be like God. Now, you carry that through as a research project through the ages, through history. And you'll see things develop. The very things that are mentioned here are what certain religions are based on. (laughs) Especially the last one. You'll be like God. Certain religions that would promise becoming uh, deity. Even regarding, you know, what uh, in a general sense what people think. Well, you know, they just make it up in their mind. I'm going to have this kind of a afterlife they're making it up okay so the lie from satan to eve is still used today and it's very effective to this day his lie is so effective it's aimed at our pride young people it's critical that you understand how um 
there's, there's always going to be that effort to draw out your pride and get you living for yourself, your pride, rather than to humble yourself and to honor God. And the goal was and always is to counterfeit what God has done. Okay? So, I want you to write these references down. These are important references. We cannot necessarily cover them all, but these are really important references regarding this issue, how the lie continues. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, where it brings this up, that Paul is afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, so your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That ought to concern every Christian. Okay? Then he goes on later on in that very same chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15, where he says, For even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of, the, of, an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also, Satan's servants, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And this is what... Get this. It started back then in Bible times. It didn't take some, you know, 1,500 or 2,000 years for all of it to develop. It started back then where there is false teaching. They spoke to it, and it's still true today. And it's important because you and I are led about all too often not by the Word of God, but more by our feelings and by what, what tickles our ears. And we've got to be careful. Another verse that I want you to write down is Ephesians chapter 4, 13 and 14, where it says, Until we all attain unto the unity of the faith, that's what's calling us, unity in the faith, the, the fundamentals of the, the faith, the, the doctrines of the faith. That's what we're to be unified in. Okay? That you attain unto the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man growing uh, in that way to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by the craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul understood it. John is addressing it here. Okay? So we go back to 1 John in chapter 4. He's saying, do not believe every spirit. And that word, is, that's a command. That's an, an imperative. It's a command. Don't believe it. And I want to throw this in. And I do it for myself. If just like for everyone, I would say, don't be so gullible. You know? I, I can be very gullible. I can believe it. I, you know? But in spiritual things... First and foremost, money issues, love relationship issues, other issues, that's secondary compared to spiritual issues because we're talking about eternity. And we're talking about your soul. Okay? 
Don't be led astray. Don't keep believing these things. Okay? Stop trusting in those things. Stop putting confidence in those things. Put it to the test. And that's what we see in point number two in your outline is the criterion for discernment. The criterion. And it's just one. There it is. Look at verse two. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. There's your test. And you say, oh, that's pretty simple. And that's something that's a concern for us, folks. We don't want to oversimplify this and just, you know, race over it and say, oh, okay, uh, you believe Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Sure. Great. There's a reason that, you know, we need to look at these words They're together for a reason. Everyone that confesses, every spirit, whether that's um, someone teaching or some other person saying, I confess this. If they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they're from God. Why is that critical? Why is that the criterion? Why is that the test? Okay? There's two points under this. Letter A is, that we be distinguishing Jesus. Distinguishing Jesus. Now, the idea is that the, we want to look at the word confess. Every spirit that confesses, it's the same word in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, same word there. And it means to agree with. Um, it means to speak the same thing. It means to acknowledge or to admit, to confess. What are we confessing? Again, very you know, simple phrase. Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. No, stop and think through that. Who's Jesus? What, what is Jesus? That's his name. Showing his human character. And Christ is what? His title. Jesus Christ. So that's going right after the attack that they were receiving in this time. Gnosticism. Docetism, those heresies that were saying, well, Jesus didn't really become the Christ till like the garden or the, you know, closer to the time of crucifixion. And so it's like he became the Christ. No. That rules out some critical fundamental of the faith, and that is the incarnation. It just wipes it out. Do you understand that? You know how critical that is? If they wipe out the incarnation, then hey, he's, he is. He's just a man. So John is saying, we, you know, to confess that Jesus Christ. And that's why we distinguish Jesus. We set him apart from everyone else. We distinguish him. We, we magnify him. We lift him up. That's why it's so important. Because there's beliefs, there's teaching that would turn that, you know, that would turn it into something else. So, together, Jesus Christ, come in the flesh, makes a clear reference to and the implication of the incarnation. What do we say is the incarnation? God became man. God, the God-man. All right? So, it also uh, points out not just 
his name, his name and title also point to the issue of who he is and what he did. Those two things. So Jesus Christ, who he is, came in the flesh, what he did, his work. Uh, mark this down also. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Okay? It's a, another imperative um, regarding a confession of one's faith in Christ. So, folks, it's critical that you and I, if we're saying we're Christians, that we're clear regarding our confession and what, what that's about. It's not just saying the right words. It's having the right words that have substance behind it. Letter B, under the criterion, we also, not only do we see distinguishing Jesus, but we see devaluing or denying Jesus. And that's in verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. See, this, folks, this goes back to the lie that Satan perpetrated in the garden, and it continues on. <clears throat> the idea is that those that are opposing a true confession, those who do not confess this, end up trying to look like, walk like, talk like uh, religious, religious people. Now, remember, it's not about Satan putting forth an overt, obvious lie. Take it this way. Think about it. If you go to any art museums, and uh, if, you, if you see any kind of art, or maybe it's in books, and you look through books and you see pictures of how, they, in old times, how they depicted Satan... Uh, I saw one not too long ago where it, there's the, you know, a struggle between uh, uh, this picture, this artwork, and, and it's about Satan having horns, you know, and the evil, devilish look. Now think about it. You know, if he approached everything that way, there would be, you know, he, he wouldn't get far. He wouldn't have any progress. No one would, uh, you know, join on with it. And so he uses this subtle lie. It's a subtle lie. Okay. Even in you know, growing up as kids, you, you see that the little, in the little cartoons. Okay. So we must not look at uh, things from this perspective. Uh, we've got to look at it from the perspective of here's teaching going on. Is it of Satan? Is it of the spirit of the Antichrist? That's what verse three is talking about. And again, don't you figure that it's just going to be obvious for you. Satan's, listen, Satan's appearances are really unnecessary. You know that? And the reason why Satan's appearances are so unnecessary, where he kind of shows up and, and does something, it's because his lie has been so effective. And it carries on in one way or another. So, it's subtle. It's similar. It's designed that way. 
you study about um, the U- United States government hiring specialists in counterfeit money, they've got to do that because there's counterfeit money coming up all the time. Okay? Now, C.S. Lewis, many of you really enjoy his, his writings and his, his thoughts and all. C.S. Lewis said this, by mixing a little truth with it, they made the lie far stronger. By mixing a little truth with it, they made the lie far stronger. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. John's already mentioned it in chapter 2. He's, he's referred to, this, uh, to the Antichrist. Now, we're not going to get into a study about, well, this... Uh, satanic messenger the antichrist for the end times what we're concerned about is the teaching aspect his his teaching to us here in john in first john chapter four and so we have to we would have to agree then the spirit of the antichrist is in the world today and that was in this time period back when the apostle john was alive and it carries on now we got to be careful my microphone here is I don't know what it is it's not it just keeps creeping up on me here sorry about that Um, we have to be careful I know that there's a lot of um, going overboard in this regard Um, it, it gets into being called heresy hunters where everything that moves must be wrong you know oh there's something wrong with that and there's something wrong with that you know i'm not wanting us to be a a people that just you know jump on every little thing okay we're dealing with uh unsaved i mean we're dealing with people who they're they're saved we're we're not perfect we we stumble we fall we we learn we you know all sorts of things that we're dealing with. But the more that you can ask, Lord, give me, like Solomon, give me a heart uh, that's a discerning, wise heart in matters of life. Start there in, in learning about discernment. Ask God for wisdom. The whole book of Proverbs is, is this, you know, saying, ask God for wisdom. That's saying, I want discern, I want to grow in discernment. So, there's some other passages that I'd like just to have you write down and refer to later. Uh, one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 22. Okay? Where there too it says to test everything. Test everything. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and then 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3. You know, regarding this issue, this letter B, uh, denying or devaluing the person of Christ or distorting the person of Christ, all those are good words to what's going on here in verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. And here's some of the examples of what happens. Let me run through this quickly. It revolves around those two things. What we say is that here's the right confession of faith. 
you confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Okay? And it's about his, his, who he is as a person and who his work, what his work is all about. Well, those who deny it would then uh, have these two platforms to work off of, dealing with his person. If a person is unable, or a spirit, is unable to confess that Jesus is God, they might even say, well, certainly. Uh, certainly I believe he's God. We've got people that would say that. They believe Jesus is God, but they redefine it. How do they redefine it? They say he, he became God. Did Jesus become God? At what point did Jesus become God? Tell me. (laughs) He's been God from eternity. Jesus, God the Son, He's been God from eternity. He did not become God. Get that in your thinking. Because we got teaching going on all over that would say, Oh, He became God and you too, you can become God too. Okay? And if others, uh, others are teaching that you and I can ascend to the same status, that's heresy. You want me to say it again? It's heresy. It's false teaching. When people say, you, if you do right, and you walk up this ladder of success in spiritual terms, you can become God. That's heresy. Okay? So, if he was, uh, if they say, on the other hand, he was only a man, well, then that's um, saying he was born like you and me. Was he born like you and me? No. Hold to those fundamentals, Christian. Hold to that. If you don't, then the house crumbles. Things fall apart because you're not holding to the fundamental. Then about his work, get this. Here's the distorting of his work. If they're unable to say that, yes, he came in the flesh and he did what he did, that's the, that's the implication that he came in the flesh and here's all that he did. Here's what he accomplished. What did Jesus accomplish? He accomplished all these miracles. You know, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, all these things, right? But when they don't confess to what he came to do, the underlying truth of Christianity, of faith, of living for God means that I need, this is what faith ends up meaning, I better do my best. I better try harder because that's what it boils down to. If, if you know, if, if the definition of Christianity, if the definition of faith, if the definition of living for God means that you have to earn points with God, that's denying what he came to do. And that teaching, if that is the kind of teaching you're hearing, that teaching is salvation by what? Works. It's salvation by works. It's very basic. That is heresy. If what they teach is true, saying you have to be saved by your works, if that is true then what Jesus said on the cross is false. I, I, I turned that around, I realize, <laughs> in my ec- effort to explain things. You, you follow that? 
if if religion is true that says you better you know uh, do works to get saved, then what Jesus said ends up being false. Jesus said at the cross, "It is finished." But what religions end up saying is, "Oh no no no, it's not finished because you it depends on you to do good works." That's the thinking behind heretical teaching. Okay? So, what's the implication? You have to complete the work. Or another mediator has to do it for you. You have to go to the priest. You have to go to the prophet. And you have to, you know, have things made right through their mediatorship. Well, what's the truth about Jesus? He performed miracles. He claimed to be God. You know that? He claimed to be God. He accepted worship from people. When was the last time you accepted worship from people? Thank you very much. Thank you. No. No, you don't you don't do that. And no one else did but Jesus. Jesus accepted worship from people. And he called God Father. And at that moment, in John chapter 6, the religious experts picked up rocks ready to execute him according to the Old Testament law because he made himself out what? Equal with God. Equal with God. Yes. I love it because what? He is. He is equal with God. He is God. Okay? So, from the cross he cried, it is finished. The veil was torn from top to bottom, giving access to God. Okay? And then from the tomb, a very dead Jesus, a very dead Jesus, rose up from the grave and lives forever. Amen. <laughs> Last point, point number three, it's, start, it's verses four through six in First John. I'm sorry, I'm going over here. I want to, I think it's important that we finish this up. Stay with me. Verses 4 through 6, he says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It boils down to this. Point number three, the confirmation of discernment. The confirmation provided by the discernment. That's what discernment does. It helps get things confirmed. It helps categorize things as this is the spirit of truth, this is the spirit of error. Letter A, it allows us to stand in confidence. It allows us to stand in confidence. In verse four, what does it say? Maybe you are. See, friends, that's what you and I think a lot. We, we put the maybe in there. And thus we don't have confidence. But the Bible doesn't put that maybe in there. The Bible says you are children of God. And you have overcome them. Okay? Referring to the victory that's been won by Christ. So, the, it goes back to verse 24. Here's the fact that God's Spirit indwells His children. And God's Spirit is greater than He who is in the world.
You move on to letter B. It also confirms those who stand in contempt. Those who stand in contempt. Look at verse 5 where it says, They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. Verse 6, He who is not from God does not listen to us. They're siding with the world's view. They're siding with the lie of Satan. It entails those in the world. And it involves churches. It involves, quote, preachers. And you and I have to put the test to everything we hear. And the test is given to us. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Finally, in letter C, in verse 6, at the end of verse 6, look at what it says. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By this, all of what John specified, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So in your life as a Christ follower, you commit yourself and your family to this emphasis what is this emphasis? The spirit of truth. What's another way to say the spirit of truth? The gospel. Do you know the gospel? Do you really know it? Do you understand the implications? I, you know, I was able to hear some of what Rick was saying at, at prayer time. Those implications of understanding sin and its penalty... It's not just a bunch of garbledy gook that, you know, crazed pe- preachers talk about on Sunday mornings. It's true. And in the depths of your heart, in my heart, we know it's true. Humble yourselves before God. Ask God for a spirit of discernment. Not a spirit of criticism, but a spirit of discernment. There is a difference, right? Don't be overly critical be discerning. Okay? John says, we are from God. He's referring to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. They spoke the truth. Their message was in tune with God's wisdom because it came from God. Commit to comparing what you hear, or testing what you hear with what you read. It's got to be in the book. It's got to be here. Here's where we, you know, line things up in in the Word of God. Discernment. Knowing the difference between truth and error. One thing must be evident in act and in action. Your time in the Word. You can't really have a discerning heart and a discerning mind if you're not in the Word of God. And thus, if you're not in the Word of God, you will be vulnerable to all sorts of the latest fad. You can know that the Word of God is inspired. It says it. 2 Timothy 3.16 It is authoritative. Jesus said, Thy Word is truth. And it is sufficient. Remind yourselves of that. You cannot merely just give yourselves over to a church that you like. You like this church? I'm glad. (laughs) 
but you don't just give yourselves over to a church and say, hey, you drive it, you know, you, you tell us what it is, and that's great. No, you need to start putting discernment into action in your lives. You can't just turn yourself over to a preacher. You can't just turn yourself over to some group that you like so that you end up being governed by others. Search the Scriptures for yourself. Be like the Bereans. Hear the words of God and believe and obey the gospel. Jesus said in John chapter 8, and I'll close with this. If you abide, there's our word, right? There's our word, abidience. Remember that one from last week? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And the very next thing he said, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Okay. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you and we give you thanks. Jesus, you said that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Help me and help each one of us here to let that sink in more and more and more. And then, Lord, as we learn more of your word, I pray that it would just come come gushing forth in our thoughts and in our conversation. Lord, that you would please help us to be discerning. Lord, uh, there's so many things that we get uh, inundated with. Oh, Lord, so many things, especially in this fast-paced technological world. May we be a people that slow down, that we let your word and your spirit speak to our hearts thank you Lord that Christians can say we are of God and we have overcome because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world thank you that you've claimed the victory over Satan long long time ago help us Lord to be brave to be confident and courageous in these days putting Christ first in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful day.